What a joy to be here with you this weekend. And um, God always has his ways of working. Um, I was thinking this morning of summarizing the mission of the church as kind of having two major parts and hoping that uh, that wouldn't be a foreign concept. And then what do I hear? But Chuck stands up in the middle of our worship service and says, the mission of the church has two main parts. Right. Love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So another way to state that is the mission of the church everywhere around the world is to multiply mercy, loving our neighbors and to awaken worship so that people in every nation would learn to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength as by his grace we have learned to do ourselves. And uh, if you were to look at Daniel chapter two, you'd hear more about the multiply mercy part of that mission. We focused on that yesterday as I met with one of your community uh, groups and um, talked about the way that Daniel showed mercy to a king who was anxious because of a dream he'd been having about his future. And Daniel ministered mercy to him and a group of scholars who were gonna be put to death because of the king's anxiety. And Daniel stepped in so that those people weren't put to death. Multiplying mercy is part of our mission as a church. Today we turn the corner in Daniel chapter three and focus more on what it means to be a church whose mission among the nations is to awaken worship of the one true God. We set the stage for this morning's scripture reading uh, as we uh, hear of King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian Empire. He too has a desire to, to awaken worship among all the nations. Worship of his gods. Worship of the might of his empire. And we'll see what God has to say in response as we hear from Daniel chapter 3. Let's read just the first few verses of the chapter. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits. That's about 90 feet. And its breadth was six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Keep in mind, from all the provinces, Babylon stretches across what today we would call 10 separate nations in the Middle East. Nebuchadnezzar wants people from all nations to gather to worship the image that he set up. So all of those officials gathered Verse three tells us, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up and the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn and the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, harp, bagpipe, every kind of music, all the peoples and nations and languages fell down 
and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans, another name for Babylonians, came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray that God would open our minds and hearts and turn all of our attention toward himself as we learn from his Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for stories about ordinary people. These three young men, teenagers, uh, young adults living in a strange place and uh, trying to do well a job that someone else had forced them to do. And yet even through these young men, you speak your truth. You show us today what it means to love you in such a way that we say before all peoples and nations and languages that you are the one true God. Lord, open our hearts that we would learn from your word and your spirit today. We pray in the name of Jesus, the only name that can do any person any good. Amen. So 
I don't know if you know how the story ends. Uh, probably many of you do, as uh, certain stories from Daniel tend to make the rounds in, uh, in the church. And you know, if you've heard this story before, you know what happened next. Nebuchadnezzar just got more angry and he said, okay, if you're not going to bow down and worship the statue and honor my gods who are represented by this statue, then um, you're going to be thrown into the furnace. And he ordered his guards to heat the furnace even hotter, probably a furnace that would have been used for uh, making iron weaponry or baking clay bricks. So something that would get over, say, 1,500 degrees Fahrenheit. They heat the furnace even hotter, so hot the text tells us that uh, some of the guards who threw them into the flames were themselves killed by the heat. And then something incredible happened. Nebuchadnezzar looked into the flames and through the fire and saw not three men, but four. What is this I see, he asked. You know, I see four men walking around unbound in the middle of the flames and they aren't hurt. And the appearance of the fourth, he said, is like a son of the gods. And then Nebuchadnezzar called the men to come out. And in front of everyone, he said, look, they, they don't smell like smoke. Their hair isn't singed. They have been protected. They have been delivered. They have not been harmed. Blessed be the God of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, who has delivered his servants, who trusted in him, even setting aside the king's command. They would rather yield up their own bodies then serve and worship any God except their own. And then he made another pronouncement. The chapter began with a pronouncement that everyone should worship this statue and the gods it stood for. And the chapter closes as the king says, any people or nation or language, you hear the theme, right? It pulses through the whole chapter. Whatever's going on here, it has to do with awakening worship everywhere on the face of the globe. All peoples, all nations, all languages, any people, any nation, any language that speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. Now, I'm not sure that God wanted precisely this kind of response from Nebuchadnezzar. But Nebuchadnezzar, uh, where everything is about might and power, responds with, with a power statement. If you don't respect the God of these young men, uh, then you should be killed. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. And then the king promoted these three men in the province of Babylon. What's God saying to us through this part of his word about our mission about our mission for the good of the world, a mission to multiply mercy. We find that stressed in other parts of Scripture. A mission also to awaken worship. That's the emphasis of Daniel chapter 3. 
to awaken worship among all peoples and all languages and all nations. Where do you find the strength to do that? Where do you find the strength to stand up in front of a king and say, there is only one God to worship and we will serve him. And can we show you what a life of wholehearted love for that one God looks like? That we would trust him to deliver us if he chooses, but even if he chooses not to deliver us, we will still trust and serve and worship him alone. The strength to do that comes from somewhere outside of us. Where does it come from? Our staff recently had a retreat, as we do every fall, and one of the things that we did was to kind of share with each other, what, what goals do you have in your ministry area for the coming year? Those goals are probably going to change because, you know, God has a tendency to do things differently than, than what we plan for, but it's good to have a plan anyway, right? What are your goals? We shared those. And then we took time to say, what are the challenges? What are the barriers? What are the obstacles? that are going to make it hard for you to get those things done. Whether they're going to come from outside or inside. It might be something about you that's going to make it hard to get there. It might be something about circumstances around you. What's going to make it hard? And you know, it gets a little depressing when you go around the room and talk about that. Well, here's what I think I'd like to see God do in our children's ministry this year. But one thing that's going to make it hard is I'm tired. And I'm weary. You know, here's what I'd like to see God do in our adult small groups over this year. But it's really hard to recruit volunteers. And people are so busy. And how do I compete with the time pressures? You name all these challenges and suddenly you feel overwhelmed. And then the last thing we did was to say, okay, here are our goals. Here are the barriers. Here are the challenges. What do we know about our Lord? that makes us hopeful even though all those challenges are real. And it was amazing to hear people just say, we know he's faithful. We know he will be there no matter what. And the energy of the room just changed. That's the question of this chapter. The challenge is great. The challenge is awakening worship of the one true God among all peoples, nations, and languages. The challenge is a mission that extends to every person in every place on the whole planet. Y'all, that is big. It's huge. And not only is that our mission, but our mission is to do that while being pressured to compromise the mission. Right? The mission is to reach all people in all places while being told you should not try to reach all people in all places. While being told, hey, you know what? If some people in one place want to worship your God, that's okay. But here you're on the turf of a different God. So here you should awaken the worship of someone else. That's what was happening here in in Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar didn't say to anyone, you have to stop worshiping your gods. 
I mean, he was a polytheist. He believed in many gods. So for him, the issue was, in addition to worshiping whomever you already do, you must now add my gods and worship them also. It's quite okay for you to worship your God, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. I know you came from this little backwater country called Israel. And I know that you have a God there and you call him the Lord, just as we call our gods and goddesses lords of the universe. And it's okay for you to keep worshiping that God, but he gotta be, he's got to be second. It's okay for you to worship him. Just make him the second most important thing in your universe and put something else first. That's more subtle, isn't it? It's more subtle. And that's, but that's the pattern you see throughout Scripture. Satan didn't ask Adam and Eve to stop believing in God in the garden. Just trust somebody else's wisdom before you trust his. That's all. Just put someone else first. You can still have him. Just let him be second. And you be first. And life will go well. And you see it here in Babylon. It's okay to keep worshiping your gods from whatever nations you come from. I'm fine with that. You just got to put my gods first. So, young men, Israelites, worshiping this Lord, just put him second. That's all I'm asking. You see the same pattern in the time of the New Testament. As uh, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, great persecution breaks out against the Christian church. And Roman soldiers travel throughout the empire with a statue of the emperor and say, you can keep calling Jesus your Lord. You just have to say that Caesar is Lord. It's okay for Jesus to be the second most important person in your life. As long as someone else is first. It's more subtle, isn't it? But that's the pressure to compromise. So now we feel the weight not only of this global mission, awakening worship of the one true Creator, King, Father, Redeemer, God, among all peoples and nations and languages, when, when those peoples and nations and languages will be asking us to do something very different. That's one of the challenges facing the mission of the church. That's why we need something to give us strength because we're going to be tempted to compromise and, and put God high on the list of our life, just not in first place. O okay to have him there somewhere. You just can't have him first. Okay to listen to what he says about some things in your life, just not okay to listen to what he says about everything in life. And now to turn around and, and love and serve the very people who would pressure us to compromise without anger, without warfare, without seeking to destroy those who disagree with us. And where do we find the strength to do that? 
What is it about our God that strengthens us to work for the good of the world? What is it about our God that would strengthen us to work for the good of people who who believe that our faith should be compromised, not spread? What is it about our God that will strengthen us for this? First is this. He is the only one who can satisfy the hearts of all people's nations and languages. That's the question of the entire book of Daniel. That's the question of this chapter. Nebuchadnezzar has his answer. I believe I have found the God that will satisfy every heart. And so I want to invite representatives from all peoples and nations and languages to gather here and stand in front of this golden statue. Now, when you make a statue out of gold, you're saying wealth can satisfy the heart of every nation. And when you gather all these leaders in the capital city of the strongest military empire on the face of the planet, you're saying power can satisfy every heart. And so I'm going to erect a statue to these gods of power and glory and wealth and might because they will satisfy every heart. And God's word stands and says, no. No. I am the only one who can satisfy the longing of every nation, of every person, in every place, in every time, no matter their background, no matter their needs, no matter what hurt draws them to me. I am the only one. I have a good friend who for over 25 years now has been a leader with uh, RUFI, the acronym, right? Reformed University Fellowship International. It's one of the campus ministries of our denomination. And uh, RUFI specializes in going to college campuses and building relationships with students who have come from, from other countries so that they would learn about Christ and have this, uh, these seeds of faith to carry back with them wherever the Lord may lead them after their studies are over. My friend Rick Bronner has served as a leader in that ministry for over 25 years at Clemson University. When he first got there, he was being interviewed by a, a group of campus pastors and ministers as to whether he could be part of their fellowship. And they asked him a question, Mr. Bronner, you'll be working with people who come to Clemson from lots of other countries and they will have other religions. And is it your goal to ask them to change their religion? Would, would you want them to become Christians as a result of your ministry among them? And Rick said, well, yeah. And they debated for nearly an hour as to whether to allow him to join their group because they were 
they were like King Nebuchadnezzar. They thought, well, you know, every God has his own country. And, and if you come from that country, you worship that God. And, and it would be wrong to ask someone to worship a different God. Underneath that logic is, is the sense that there are many ways to satisfy the deepest desires of the human heart. And pick one. But the testimony of all of scripture is that the human heart is broken. And the only thing that can make it whole again is the one who created it in the first place, who shaped and molded it in his own image. And so the image of gods of wealth and power and might won't ever heal a broken human heart. There's only one God who can. That's one of the things about him that will strengthen us when our mission seems impossibly difficult is we know, we know that no matter who says they don't want to hear, he is the one everyone longs for. He's also a God who doesn't give up on his people when they're weak and needy. And that makes us love him so much that we would want to remain faithful in our mission, no matter how difficult it seems. He is a God who doesn't look down on these three teenagers and say, ah, they're just teenagers. They're not important. He doesn't look down on them and say, oh, they're in a power contest with a king. And he says, no God has power to deliver you from my hands. He's powerful. They're weak. Forget them. Our God is not like that. He doesn't give up on us when we are, well, these three men were slaves in a foreign land, exiled from their home because of the failures of their own people. God doesn't give up on his church when we fail. Hallelujah. What glory, what joy to know that we don't have to have an unblemished history of unbroken success for him to love us and stay near to us. So even when it looks like Nebuchadnezzar has all the power and God's people have nothing but weakness, God stays faithful. He is the God who delivers. And these young men know it. Our God is able to deliver us from this burning, fiery furnace. Now, some people would tell us, no, miracles like this don't happen. Miracles are impossible. They're outside the realm of human reason and, and normal experience. And I would just ask a question. Is human reason and experience the best tool for, for determining whether there is something outside of human reason and experience? The things we can observe inside this room are not the best tools for determining whether there is something that exists outside the room. It may not convince all the skeptics in the world, but at least makes us pause and say, well, what if there is a God who's outside our reason and experience, who loves us enough to reach into our history 
and deliver in ways that are beyond our ability to explain. He is a God who delivers. And you know what I love most about this chapter? It's not seeing that he's the God who has the power to deliver. It's seeing that the God who has power to deliver is also the God who walks in the flames. The church has asked for 2,000 years and longer, who was that fourth person in the fiery furnace that Nebuchadnezzar saw? Nebuchadnezzar thought it was an angel. He's not the best theologian on the planet, right? <laughs> he believes that one way of worshiping God is to kill people who won't worship God. Nebuchadnezzar is not the best theologian on the planet. So let's not trust his word for it that this was an angel in the fire. Most interpreters have agreed that the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, who was born as a baby and named Jesus, has existed forever. And that there were times in the Old Testament before he became incarnate and took on flesh and blood that he himself appeared in times of great need to his people. And this is one of those times when the God who has the power to deliver has the humility to walk in the flames. Think about it. If our God could save these men from the furnace, couldn't he have saved them before they were thrown into the furnace? Why would he choose to wait until they are bound and feel utterly helpless and utterly defeated and then show up and walk alongside them? It's because that's who he is. He is the God who will walk with his people in the flames. He will be with us in the moments of victory and Easter Sunday resurrection joy. And he will be with us in the times of failure and defeat and Good Friday crucifixion curse. He is that God. That is our gospel. And we would stand and say, if he delivers us, we will worship him. And even if he doesn't, we will worship him. And that love for him is the only thing that will strengthen us for a mission that reaches to every people and nation and language. I didn't read a lot of fiction when I was growing up. My first assignment when I got engaged to my wife was to read the Chronicles of Narnia. I had heard of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but I didn't know there were six other books in that series. I started reading this one called The Horse and His Boy. It's become my favorite. Those of you who know it may appreciate this moment I'm about to describe. But in this story, there are two horses trying to flee from uh, a kingdom where their lives are in danger. And one of the horses, a female horse named Huen, has heard stories about a great lion named Aslan. Of course, when C.S. Lewis wrote these books, he was wanting to help people love Jesus who had never heard of Jesus. And so 
Aslan is the, the Jesus figure in these stories. He represents the true king with his power and might. Quinn's never met Aslan. She's heard stories about him. She's not so sure she wants to meet him. If you're a horse, you might not want to be face to face with a lion. Pretty understandable. There comes a time when she's been fleeing for her life. She stands panting and dripping with sweat, heart pounding, and she meets this great lion king for the first time face to face. And she looks him in the eye and says, Oh, Aslan, you are so beautiful. I would rather be eaten by you than fed by anyone else. What is it about our God that makes us want to be his, even if it means we might be eaten? What is it about him that makes us love him so much that we would rather die with him and bear the shame of crucifixion with him than to live without him? It's because we know, we know he has the power to stay at a distance from weak people. He has the power to give up on failures. And yet he chooses to walk in the flames with us and for us. And we love him and we say, Lord, we'd rather fail while trying to reach the world for you than to be safe and comfortable right here without you. The mission will come with great challenges, but it comes with a promise that this is the God who gives himself for us, who loves us, who sends his son with us wherever we go. All peoples, all nations, all languages, no matter what challenges arise, we honor him. We love him and we want the whole world to know his name. Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for your kindness and mercy. You are the God who doesn't give up on a failed people. You pursue your sons, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego to a, a faraway place. You pursue them even into the depths of a fiery furnace that was designed only to show that you are weak and that you don't exist and that you couldn't save them. And there you were with them, not standing outside the flames at a safe distance, but walking with them in the fire. Thank you, Jesus, for walking with us in this broken world and for taking our sins upon yourself. Would you reawaken our passion for you so that the nations would know that we mean no disrespect or ill will toward them, but we know the name of the one that their hearts are longing for, and we long for them to worship you along with us. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.